Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 90 from May 3rd, 2007. Multi-factor authentication. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway. On the web at www.astaro.com. And by Nerds on Site. Looking to grow your IT service business? Find out how Nerds on Site can help. Visit IWantToBeANerd.com. Here we are already at episode 90. At this rate, Steve, I think you're going to catch up with Twit any minute now. It's, well, I look forward to that day, as you know. That's <laughs> one, right. of my, one of my own personal benchmarks. I'm starting to get emails and stuff on our 100th episode of Twit. You know, people want to give away stuff, and I'm just getting gifts in the mail and stuff, and it's kind of neat. I just hope we make it to number 100 at this point. It's getting a little iffy. There's no question that in 10 weeks we'll be at number 100 for security now. There's just no doubt about it. Well, and I've got some plans for the. I, oh, I, I have a special plan for the hundredth episode. Something oh, I think fun. everyone's going to get a big kick out of. Well, the so, Daily yeah. Gizwiz just did its three hundredth, and we gave away a bunch of stuff. See, now that's cheating because you huh. do what is it? What <laughs> is it? One a day, right? Yeah. Well, and of course, the first podcast I did was uh, the radio show, and that's up to the episode three hundred fifty. But the Gizwiz will catch up. Because we only do two a week of the radio show. Right, so, right. But I started, that was the very first podcast I did. In fact, it was one of the very first podcasts of any kind. Um, and it was in October, September, I think, of 2004. Is that right? Yeah. Anyway, enough reminiscing. Time to talk about security. And today we're going to talk about you something you call multi-factor authentication. Yeah, um, it's it's something we've never touched on before. Uh, we certainly, of course, very on, very early on in this series, we did some extensive coverage of of what are good passwords and 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 good password management habits and so forth. Mm-hmm. But increasingly, what we're seeing is that what's called single factor authentication, which is just typically a username and password, is is being regarded with increasing skepticism, simply due to all the problems that we've talked about with passwords. So multi-factor authentication is like the new thing. And uh, I think it'll be fun to talk about it with our listeners. Well, let's get to that in just a second. And we'll also uh, get you some uh, updates if there are any on past episodes. But before we do anything else, we should thank our friends at Astaro because they sponsor this podcast and have done so for quite some time now. You know, pretty soon it'll be like we never were without Astaro. It'll be a fraction of the total episodes that we didn't have Astaro with us. I'm glad to have them on board. They uh, make one of the best, if not the best, security gateway on the market. Certainly one that you should be taking a look at. Version 7 of the software just came out. It includes, I mean, this one one unit. It's the size of a router, small you know, consumer router. It's not a consumer-grade product by any means. Includes email security, anti-spam, anti-phishing, dual virus protection, both for email and, of course, regular antivirus, uh, transparent encryption Web filtering, you get content filtering, uh, web antivirus, you need that too nowadays, anti-spyware, instant message and peer-to-peer software controlling, you get network protection, firewalling, remote access, VPN, intrusion protection, and they've enhanced version 7 with with transparent email encryption and decryption on the server side, on the gateway side, which makes it very easy for you to set up, your, your, your users don't know that it's happening, but it's happening automatically, SSL, VPN, uh, scalability via clustering, up to 10 security gateways. Really remarkable. And now if you're a home user, the free version 7 package will include the base license, all subscriptions, and a Starro up-to-date. That is a great deal. We used to sell that for 79 euros. Now it's free. So many reasons to visit astaro.com. If you're a business, call 877-4-ASTARO and set up a free trial in your office. I use it, and uh, I know many of the Biggest companies use it. It really is the best out there. Astaro's Security Gateway. 877, the number 4, A-S-T-A-R-O dot com. So uh, any, any uh, 
Any updates from the last couple of weeks, Steve? Don't have any errata, um, although I do have sort You're of a perfect. fun... <laughs> You're perfect! No, certainly not that, but but nothing has come to my attention. But I do have sort of a fun, different sort of, of Spinrite anecdote to share, okay. one that's not about saving a PC. Uh, I got a note from uh, someone named Scott Freudenthal in Florida, who's a Security Now listener. And he says the subject of the note was Spinrite saves more than just computers. Thanks be to goodness, <laughs> as he put it. He said, Steve, I've used Spinrite for saving multiple hard drives in the past. I've always been impressed with the capabilities of the product. I always knew that I could count on Spinrite to save the day. I figured you had enough feedback on your basic day-in, day-out computer uh, computer recoveries. Uh, no, that's not true. Everybody, uh, <laughs> send as many notes as you want. I, lo- I love getting them. Love getting that's them. Love reward. reading them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he says, "So I have never." So he, so he said, "So I have never sent you any feedback before." However, I was gone on a vacation recently, and during my absence, our TiVo died. Now, we're talking about a real serious situation. Yeah. Well, as you can imagine, he was counting on his TiVo to be sucking up all of the programs that he he wasn't able to watch while he was on vacation. And you've never seen anything so scary as somebody going into Grey's Anatomy withdrawal. I mean, that's just uh, painful. (laughs) Painful. (laughs) So he says, I tried tech support when I returned and realized the only solution they were offering was a new TiVo. I vaguely remembered hearing on Security Now that someone had used it to fix a TiVo drive. So I gave it a shot. Oh, happy day. Our TiVo is back and Harmony has returned to our little family unit. Thank you so much for making such an exceptional product. Wow. Keep up the good work and the great information provided on Security Now. Signed, Anne and Scott Freudenthal in Florida. That's neat. So now we've heard of people using it on their iPod hard drive. And their TiVo hard drive. Yeah, and I think I did once mention it sort of offhand about it being useful for TiVo. It has saved Greg, my, my tech support guy, Greg's TiVo, a couple of my TiVos several times. Oh, really? You know, because those things sit there, they tend to run hot, right. and they just go day in and day out. And I mean, the, 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 the TiVo actually is always running data through the hard drive, so the head is constantly moving back and forth between its recording area and its playback area, even if it's doing nothing. I mean, you know, when you turn it on, you've got that 30-minute buffer delay always sitting there. So, so I mean, it, TiVo really does work these hard drives pretty pretty hard, and, you know, sometimes they just get more than they can handle. So, so Spinrite is, of course, able to fix them, and I wanted, to, I wanted just to renew that fact uh, as a consequence of Scott's note. It doesn't matter what uh, operating system uh, or what uh, file system is being used on the hard drive? No, because you don't look is, at that. Is, well, it's Spinrite will if it's present, but if, if it doesn't have a partition table that it recognizes, it goes, okay, well, we'll fix whatever's here, even if we don't know what it is. Ah, interesting. Interesting. And, of course, it's, it's interesting, too, because on the older Series 1 TiVos like mine, um, which I've stayed with because they're much more hackable than than the newest ones. That's a power PC platform that has the bytes swapped in a different order than Intel. So the right. data recorder on the drive isn't even recognizable as a normal partition table, even though it has one. Spinrite looks at, the, at, at for the signature at the end of the partition table, doesn't see the 55AA because on that on that system it's AA55, and Spinrite goes, okay, well. We'll just fix it even if we don't know what this is. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. No uh, updates from last week. So let's launch right into it. This is uh, something called multi, <laughs> multi-factor multi-factor authentication. Okay. Yeah. Now, okay. Let's step back a little bit and talk about authentication sort of generically. You know, back in the, the olden days, unquote, you know, like... Andy of Mayberry days, you know, Opie would go into the drugstore and (laughs) exactly. Yes. Uh And, you know, and the pharmacist knew him. And so he'd say, oh, you're here to pick up, you know, grandma. Well, I don't remember what his grandmother's name was, but uh, Aunt B. Aunt B. Exactly. Thank you, Leo. Go down to the drugstore and get my heart pills. 
Exactly. Yeah. And so so there was there was known person to person authentication that you could rely on. And so, you know, people knew you and j- just being known was you know, real world authentication or, you know, if a restaurant you went in all the time, say you forgot your wallet once. It's like, oh, my God, I, I don't have my money with me. But oh, they that's, know you. that's fine. Of Leo, course, we Mr. know yes. you. We you know, here. Here's come, come back. Come back in an hour or, or dump, right. pay, you know, pay for it next time, right. whatever. Right. So, I mean, there was in the real physical world, we we always had authentication. Well, of course, what's happened with the Internet is and to an increasing degree that kind of real-world authentication is gone. So, but it's still very important, and in fact, you could argue increasingly important due, due to the fact that that applications of the Internet are expanding, really important for authentication to be present. Now, we've talked about websites authenticating themselves using SSL and certificates, where a web server has a certificate signed by an authority mm-hmm. wh- where where we trust the signing authority verisign or equifax or or whomever and so we assume that that signing authority has done its due diligence to verify the identity of anyone it's giving a certificate to so our web browser trusts that signing authority and when we get a certificate as we're setting up an SSL, a secure connection to the web server, we get the certificate, we see that it was signed by someone we trust, and so that creates a chain of trust that, that says, okay, we're going to trust the, the certificate owner because we trust the signer of that certificate. Well, that's authenticating from the remote end to us. Single-factor authentication, really. Well, that well, that's actually yes. That that is a single factor, um, and um, and and in in typical e-commerce mode, you the, the 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 need when you're wanting to authenticate yourself to someone else is going in the other direction. And you know, the classic example is online banking, where you know you want to make sure you can get to your your personalized online banking account page, but nobody else can, and the bank would like to know that that you are you. So, so originally, of course, passwords is what was used because people were kind of they they understood passwords immediately. You know, you have a username and password which you use to log on. Now, as we've talked about in talking about passwords extensively. You know, they're free, that is, they don't cost anything, um, and they're easy to use. But at the same time, they have this the, the downside of, you know, you get what you pay for. That is, you know, you didn't pay anything for them. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> so um, you have the, the, the problem, as we've talked about, of user management. You know, the, if, if a password is easily guessable, then that's a problem. Um, if it's really complex then you're in danger of not being able to remember it. And so what many people do is they'll write them down. And that a written down password, of course, is a problem because then anyone else coming along can, can see it and find it. So that's, that's bad. And, um, so, and, the use of, and we've also talked about the use of many different passwords, not using the same password all the time, mm-hmm. but having a, a bunch of them. Well, having a bunch of them also puts... A, a a a burden on the user of just having so many passwords. Um, the other problem with a password is it can be deliberately divulged. That is, you could say, oh, you know, if you want to read, you know, my New York Times uh, online magazine subscription or o- online newspaper subscription, just log on using my password, my my username. I've done and that password. many times. Yeah. Yeah, and so 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 there's so it has both the problem of unintentionally being discovered and being deliberately divulged. Um, so so essentially, there's this issue of of accountability and plausible deniability. You know, weak authentication means that users cannot be held accountable. You know, it's like you know the dog ate my homework right, problem. Right. Meaning that say say that your your boss comes to you and says. Hey, you know, you logged on to the server and we're doing some bad things. 
but the, but you know if all you're using is a weak weekly authenticatable password you could say oh somebody must have stolen it mm-hmm. i didn't do that mm-hmm. so so there isn't strong accountability there because you know again they're easy to use but they have a problem so so all of this discussion so far the the whole issue of passwords is is known in the security trade as single factor authentication that is you're you're only being asked to provide a single aspect for authentication well generalizing factors it's very cool sort of the 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 jargon that's been developed i get a kick out of this cuz passwords are something you know the next two types of factors are something you have and something you are wait a minute let me understand that a password is something you know yep okay that makes sense so that's us that's the first of a multi-factor authentication scheme would be that or i would say it's the most common of the most common factor in a multi-factor authentication scheme is something you know something you know the other would be something you have like say a smart card or some sort of a token a of token. some sort, and then what's right? the and then something you something you are, are. which is to say your fingerprint, ah. or or the pattern of blood vessels right. in the iris of your right eye, or Opie's face when he walked into the pharmacy if for facial recognition. Right. Well, well, he didn't exactly. need a password, and he didn't need anything a token. He had his face, so that was because the single of, factor exactly, there exactly yeah. because of who he was, and right. that was uniquely recognizable in fact now that's the key is what we're really talking about here and, and actually i haven't seen this anywhere in the literature but it but maybe because it's too obvious but again by making these obvious things clear you know we we end up with a, uh, i think a deeper understanding yeah. what we're really talking about is something only you know something only you have uh-huh. or something only you are Right. Because, of course, the problem with a password is maybe somebody else could know it. Right. Or if Opie were a twin, it wouldn't only be him that looked like him. That very good point. Yeah. Okay. I get it. So so things you know, something you know, as we've talked about, could be a password or a PIN, like, uh, like, mm-hmm. like, like you use when you're using an ATM card. And in fact, an ATM card and the experience of authenticating yourself to an ATM machine is a is probably the most common and it's a perfect example of two factor authentication. Yes. Because because the something you know is the PIN number. Right. And the something you have is the ATM card. Got it. And that's that's arguably much stronger than, you know, just a password. On the other hand, it too could be defeated. That is, you know, mom could give her ATM card and pin to one of her kids and say, you know, go down and, you know, withdraw a hundred dollars. So, so the fact that the card is loanable represents some insecurity. That is the, although the, uh, although the responsibility is certainly uh, falls on the card owner to, to manage that card correctly. So it's stronger than a password but you could argue that the ATM machine is assuming that the actual owner of the card is the person who is present, when in fact that's not the case because there's no use of that third factor, which is something only you are. Right, right. Got it. Got it. So, so, so the more factors, the better. Well, well yes, except that... Um, it, well, yes. In general, it's certainly the case that the more factors, the better. The, the one downside of that is the more factors you have, the more tendency there is to trust the authentication. And what can often happen is that that that, that organizations or IT structures will will put more trust in than they should because they get all worked up over how secure their solution is. Mm-hmm. And then if if something comes along to break that authentication, you can end up with a much greater exposure and vulnerability as a consequence. Now, of course, you know, the the so we have the 
the something you know is some information. Now, remember that there's also other classes of that. For example, there's the normal password and PIN. Then there's like, you know, instances where you'll be asked for your mother's maiden name or the name of your elementary school or, you know, some, you know, like second tier information if you're needing to further authenticate yourself for whatever reason. And of course, again, the, the problem with that is anything like that is easily shareable. Now, we talked about the ATM card as something you have. Of course, what's becoming now popular are various sorts of dongles or tokens. RSA has something they call Secure ID, which is a little battery-powered LCD display with a six-digit number on it, which changes once every minute. And so the idea is, and it's a clever solution. Of course, they've locked it up in patents every which way. The idea being that this hardware, this is a hardware token, which, you know, you can stick on your keychain. And every minute, the number changes. So if you need to log in to any facility on the Internet which uses RSA's secure ID system, you will be asked for the current token showing, or I'm sorry, the current six-digit number appearing on this little token, which you just type in. And what, what's cool about it is that it's it's obviously got a clock inside. It is every minute it's changing this. Well, we understand enough of crypto now that all that's required is for a, a number of seconds since whenever, since, you know, the year 2000, for example, that the linear number of seconds is run through symmetric encryption with, a, with an individual key, which turns that counter from, an, from a, a, just a monotonically increasing value into what looks like a completely random number. And in fact, there's no way without knowing what the symmetric key is to guess, given any one number, what the next one will be. And an extension of that is there's no way to know at any point in time what number will be showing on that LCD. And the, the only people who know is the RSA server because there'll be some serial number on the key which is in no way related to that symmetric, um, the symmetric key being being used to encrypt this monotonically increasing value. But what happens is when you type it in, the the server you're trying to authenticate to, like um, I can't use Bank of America because they're they're not using this system. They have something else which actually site key, which I hate. and we'll talk and it's bad, Leo. It I turns know. out it's, it's already been hacked and broken, and they're all they're all jumping around talking about it as a powerful. <laughs> two-factor authentication and it's not yeah so but but imagine some uh, some working system that, that, <laughs> that has contracted with rsa to to provide authentication services so you enter this token into their server their server asks rsa say saying so, so you so you identify yourself by username and enter the current value on the token rsa looks you up by the serial number on your token, which has been established ahead of time, they look up the matching secure symmetric key that is is inside your token and unreadable using any any practical technology. But they but they know what it is because they they established that once. They look that up. They unencrypt. That is, they decrypt the six digit number, which is just a number of seconds since some period in time, they decrypt that back to the counter value and verify that it's within a minute or two of where uh, of the current time. So that's why it's no good after that minute. Well, well, uh, uh, exactly. So, however, they want to have some fudge window because the the minute counter could click over. Right. Uh, you know, for example, your your little battery powered clock in the token could be running a little right, fast. Right, right, right. And so, so what's very cool though is every time you use it, it resynchronizes the with RSA 
a fudge factor. So, for example, RSA can can see from the token you give it. It'll look at the minute before, maybe you know, as, as many minutes before or after as necessary to find the value that you've entered. And then RSA can decide if that's close enough to the current time. And when they make that decision, they they store a fudge factor to so that next time they know, oh, this guy's dongle is running three minutes ahead. But as long as you use it, you know, what every like three or four times a year, your clock in your little dongle isn't going to drift that far off from the last time you used it. So R, so the RSA knowledge of where your little oh, counter is yeah. stays synchronized. So it's a it's it's a it's a neat solution. This is supposed so, to be the you know I mean if you're for a single factor security solution, this is really supposed to be it. Well, it's a good solution, and in fact, they they have they've got it patented. They've also implemented the same thing in a and you can imagine how in a software only version. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They've they've just recently released it in the uh, for the Java ME, the micro edition platform that'll run on you know. Any small phone, uh, it, it runs on Windows Mobile, Pocket PC, Symbian, the, the 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 Palm Trio, the BlackBerry. So you you are able to to use a regular, um, you know, PC based or smartphone and have the secure ID technology in there also, because of course all of those things have a clock, mm-hmm. and all all you need is a clock and a counter and crypto. Now you could argue, and I would, that that's not as secure as using a, a a specific custom token because a- anything that's basically in software is certainly hackable on the other hand it costs much less to download a piece of software than it does to make and carry this right, dongle right. and people typically have their phones or their trios or their blackberries or whatever with them so it's a good solution uh by the end of this podcast we will explain why it's no good um, that, <laughs> I mean, why it's good, but it's not perfect. It's not and perfect. Again, okay. It's not perfect because of it is susceptible to man in the middle attacks, and ah. many of these things are. Right. But that's um, why multi factor becomes so critical. Exactly. Yeah. Because you want as many as you can. Now, um, one of the other really interesting solutions which, ha- which people have come up with is the actual use of a mobile phone. That is not like I was just saying using RSA security, but but imagine that what it is that you remember, one is what you know and one is what you have. Well, many people, if not most people these days, have a cell phone. Right. So the fact that they're in possession of the cell phone is a strong aspect of authentication. Oh, we're not of course. we're not gonna overstate it's not it. Exactly. Right. But it's it's better than nothing right. and it's probably free. So imagine a service where you where you log in and they send your phone, that is the phone associated with your account, a short SMS message with a password, a, a series of digits which you have to type in, in into the web browser as you're logging in. The only way you could know it is if you are in possession of the phone and you look up the message you just received and key the number in. And the, the, the real beauty of this approach is that it's an out-of-band communication. That is to say, and, and we've talked before about inbound and out-of-band, um, the, the idea being that anything in-band is the, the, the main dialogue that we're having, for example, over a, a, a secure connection with a server that we're logging into, but doing something out of band is really nice. It'd be like someone phoning you at the phone near you and saying, hi, hi there, John. Um, you know, you need to enter this number into the web browser in order to authenticate yourself. Right. You know, right. Th- that, that's an out of band communication. But using an, a, a, an SMS message on a cell phone is very easily automatable and provides the information out of band only to the person's phone that's associated with the account so there's there's another sort of clean clever approach for for this kind of something you have authentication Um, one other approach that i've seen is the use of a code sheet 
That is, there, there's one company, and I can't think of their name, and again, it's, it, they've got patents protecting this, is when you sign up for this, this, two, this, this form of two-factor authentication, you get a, um, you, you print out a web page containing a little four-by-four, that's four-inch by four-inch piece of paper, which is a, a chart of symbols and letters. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is, again, that's something you have that right. you can easily fold in half and stick in your wallet. Yeah. And when it's time to authenticate yourself, their website will show you a series of icons, and you look them up on your chart and type in the corresponding letter. Oh, that's cool. It's very it's very clever. And simple. Because and simple, and it's a one-time, basically, it's like a one-time little crypto sheet, and it costs nothing because everyone, you know, who can bring up a web page and print it is able to do that. So it's, you don't need a hardware token, but it's a form of hardware token because each, every single one that's issued is different. So no two people have the same two sheets. The issuing server remembers which sheet each person received, and then the web server is able to issue a one-time pattern of icons. That is, it will never issue those again. And so, so these things are trying to, to, to solve the problem of anyone collecting keystrokes. Because if you had a keystroke logger on your system that saw you entering this password, well, that password that you're, you are giving back to the server in, in a classic challenge response fashion, you've been challenged by, by, by being presented by this series of icons. You look up on your unique sheet the corresponding letters and type that in. You will never receive the same series of icons again, never type in the same password again. So no one logging your whole logon handshake protocol is ever able to reuse it. Uh, and that's kind of the key to a lot of these uh, systems is these one-time passwords or one-time authentication. Yes, and of course that is that also is the 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 whole RSA secure ID right. deal. It's not is good since again. It's, since it's changing every minute, right. it's not good again. It's funny because as I was as I was thinking about this and doing some research, I was thinking, okay, well, what if you did a typo and you had to enter it again? Well, that's okay. First of all, in a minute or actually in an average of 30 seconds, you're going to get another one. Right. And, and that will be okay. But if it's a typo, it's wrong anyway. Right. So if you, cor- <laughs> if, you, if you correct it, then the server goes, oh, you got it right. right. And in the process of getting it right, it will no longer ever accept that again. So it's, it's very cool. Yeah, so yeah. Some, of the, some of these things involve hardware. There's even another company that has something called the iButton, Dallas Semiconductor, uh, produce something called an I button, which look it looks like exactly like one of the little tiny hearing aid batteries that we're all familiar with, because you know our calculators use them, or you know obviously people with hearing aids use them. Mm-hmm. You know the, the 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 little round cell, which is very small and has has a sort of a um, an inner circle contact on the other side. Well, Dallas Semiconductor realized, hey, we we're able to provide power and data over two wires. So they build crypto chips into something that looks exactly like a hearing aid battery and then mount it on a little paddle that you can hook onto your key ring. It doesn't have a battery in it, but when you press it against their little socket, ah, you know, it charges it. It well it it, it powers it. It, or, yeah, it, right. power, it powers it, it up yeah. and then it's able to do a little security protocol to say Give me your ID number. Very give cool. give me your serial number. So it is. It's that's it's a very, very clever technique. Yeah. Yeah, and super small, lightweight, easy to have on your keyring, and it provides again. It's something you have that that nobody else has. Right. But the pro- and, there's problems with all of these. Something you physically have can easily be lost. Yes, exactly. Or loaned. It, it or, can be or loaned. Given, yes, exactly. It's like so. It's so so. Like, you know, you you tell your child. Only withdraw a hundred dollars. Well, yeah, in or twenty or whatever to go to the movies, you know. And certainly, obviously, there is accountability when when the um, the bill comes at the end of the month. But still, you've 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 given up control. Right. So so the next factor in this this sort of this hierarchy of authentication is something you are, 
which is to say some measurable physical characteristic. Um, fingerprints, of course, are, are very popular and have long been used. Speech patterns are, are also being used. Um, you've probably also seen, Leo, o- over the years, there was a, an attempt to use the, the typing right, rhythm. Right, That because, keeps coming back. People keep talking yeah, about that. Yeah, I mean, and it's, 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 it's interesting because no two people type with the same kind of rhythm. Right. Uh, many people don't type with any rhythm at all. <laughs> um, of course, now that requires something active on the computer in, that is down at a level where the rhythm of your typing can be received. For example, that would not work through a web form right. because you, you, you type offline, essentially, and press the button to, to submit. And then, of course, um, uh, the more high-tech retinal scan uh, or some other biometric. In fact, just just yesterday, um, I wanted to to grab something from my uh, server cabinet at level three, and so so I went there. They use the uh, interestingly enough, they use the second two approaches and not the first. That is something I have and something I am. Um, I have a badge from them. And so I put the I, I wave the badge near a reader, mm-hmm. which tells them who whose badge this is. Right, right. But it doesn't it doesn't tell them that it's me. Of who course, you are right. I, yeah. Exactly, because I could have given it to someone else. Right. But then the next thing I have to do is stick my hand in this. It, it, it's sort of a plate with, with, with some poles sticking up, right. little one inch high posts. So I put my hand and all the way up into this so that the posts rests in 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 between each of my fingers and this thing measures the oh. physical characteristics of my hand so it's, it's not exactly a scanner or is it it's well no no and this is what's interesting and it's significant is that is that certainly there are probably people around i'm sure there are walking around who have a hand measurement that is indistinguishable from mine. Ah, but they don't have the card. Exactly. Or the they likelihood of the them card. having the card is un- highly unlikely. Exactly. Yeah. And the exactly. And the likelihood of someone stealing my card who has the exact same hand size right. that I have right. is low enough to, to, to make this much more secure than just using a card. Right. And certainly just using my hand measurements is really not security at all. So, so the point I want to make about this, because I, because it's it's clever the way it interacts and it relates to fingerprints in an important way that we'll talk about in a second, is that just using a hand size really isn't enough to identify me uniquely in the world. So I wouldn't want to use that. But using my my card first tells the system, okay. Now check the one hand size we have on record, or maybe one or two, whatever, depending on how many people are going to use this card. In fact, with, with, with this system that Level 3 uses, it's a one-for-one one association. If I had Sue or Greg needing access to the Level 3 facility, they would have their own card right. and their own, their own hand measured for that card. Right. So there's a one-to-one mapping. But, but the point is, this thing never says... Oh look, this looks like Steve's hand. Let's unlock the door. No. Instead, it's oh, we've just sniffed Steve's card and we know what Steve's hand <laughs> size is. So let's see if if the hand that's about to be put on the scanner qualifies as being Steve's. Right. Right. So so it's a it's a it's a really nice system that oh and nothing to remember. Notice that I'm not putting in a PIN or a password in this system. However, I notice that on the scanner there is a keypad, which so probably if if level they could three go were to the even th- third level authentication, third yes, factor, yeah, yes, all all of the technology is there for me to have to enter a PIN and a card and wow. my hand. Wow. And I, I guess they're thinking, okay, let's you enough know, is enough. <laughs> two, two, you know, the hard two out of the uh, out of two out of three is right. is good right. enough. Right. Fascinating. And I think a lot of network operation centers use something like that. That seems to be very common. Yeah. yeah well, and in fact, uh, as I was thinking about talking about this today, I realized that even if someone got my card who had my hand, and I don't mean that literally, because of course we've all we've we've all seen the the, right. the spy movies cut where guys right. exactly cut, you know, cut my hand off and take it to level three. Right. Or, or would that work? Know, 
Some, uh, yeah, I think it would. I don't think it has to be a living hand. <laughs> so, not measuring the heat of the hand. Okay. I don't think so. Okay. And of course, of course, you know, in all of the, of the spy movies, we've also seen where you get your finger chopped off, and then they, right. you know, they carry the finger and stick it up on the fingerprint right. scanner. Right. Or, or in on, on Mission Impossible, you know, they're always peeling, you know, plastic fake, rubbers, pl- yeah, fake right. fingerprint, right. you know, uh, impressions off of you. <laughs> so. So fingerprints are interesting because they they're sort of like hand size. That is to say, uh, you yes, you could argue that finger that a, certainly a whole set of fingerprints, a whole hand, are provide enough unique identification to be strong. On the other hand, given the opportunity to get DNA, which is absolutely unique, that's what forensic researchers and scientists and you know forensic criminologists use rather than fingerprints right um and and in fact a a a fingerprint is vague enough and also susceptible enough to damage from you know an exacto knife that you and well and and fingerprint databases tend to be huge that they don't really work the way they show them on CSI, where it's like, oh, scanning and all these fingerprints <laughs> and people's faces are flashing by. Because, I mean, those databases are way too huge. The way, the way fingerprint scanners work is that a number of, of characteristics of all fingerprints are found. There, there are swirls, there are breaks, there are places where, where like four ridges fade out or, or, or like merge into two, so, uh, sort of like a Y intersection in the road. Well, those things are easily spotted by software, and they create position-dependent marks. That's then used to, to make a robust index, into, and that index is used to index this criminal fingerprint database in order to then sort of go to a successive level of refinement and decide if that's who you are. In the case of, of fingerprint scanners, which are now appearing on PCs, they're, they operate much more like the level three analogy, where you you have very few people who are logged in to this fingerprint scanner. You know, yourself, maybe a spouse or your kids or something. I was going to say your dog, but not in this case because it's not a paw print. It's not a paw print <laughs> scanner. <not> paw print. <laughs> and and so as you drag your as you drag your fingerprint or, or your your finger across this one or maybe a multiple times, um, it builds up an image, and then all it has to do is it says, okay, all I need to verify is that within sufficient level of certainty, I recognize this fingerprint from among one or two or three. And again, the likelihood of some random thief having a fingerprint sufficiently close to yours is just diminishingly small. Mm-hmm. And since since you are able to train this multiple times and you are using it continually, it's able to adapt over time to slow changes that may evolve in your fingerprint. Like, you know, a, a little cut appears somewhere. It's like, okay, well, that's we'll forgive that because all the rest of the finger looks good. So, again, you're only really doing a comparison against a very small database of of potential matches, so y- you can afford to do a, a very good job of that. Right. And the other cool thing about the newest scanners, you know, the original scanner was sort of a a, a plate you put your your thumb or your first your forefinger on or something, and, and and it would take a picture of the whole thing. There have been lots. There's been lots of work on how easily that is forged. Just by using some rubber cement, it turns out you you know you can very easily fool these because. They're not checking for, for, for the lifeness of the fingerprint. And so those things like the Mission Impossible, you know, rubber finger really do work on those. But the newer scanners, are at, uh, which are even less expensive and so are becoming predominant, are, are more like a line scanner where you have to actively draw your finger across that. Well, that's superior because it's a dynamic process, it's much it's much less easy to make a rubber finger that is going to fool that than than it is if you just you know had a, a Xerox copy of of your fingerprint <laughs> and just stuck it down on the window. <laughs> but it turns out that all of these things, while they are 
better, there are attacks that are workable attacks huh. against these kinds of things. Now, it's interesting that you mentioned B of A and SiteKey. And, and, you know, it's certainly got a lot, of, it's gotten a lot of press because it's a very sort of, oh, touchy feely sort of solution. Right. The idea with B of A site key is you give it your username first. Right. It looks up your username and says, ah, Leo has registered a picture of, of his trash can. Uh, <laughs> With us, exactly. and so it sends back. And, but you a give pi- it a phrase too that goes. Yes, with it. exactly. Yeah. A, 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 a phrase and a picture. It sends those back to you. Now, what that's supposed to do is give them phishing. You know, p h i s h phishing protection. That is, it's supposed to verify that you're really talking to B of A because they know they have a picture of your trash can that you provided them when you set this up, and no phishing site could, would be able to do that. And so so the idea is that it's like, oh, good, now I know I'm talking to B of A, and then they prompt you for your password. Right. Now, the problem is that they need this to be robust in the event that you want to sign on at the library. You know, God help you, you, you don't <laughs> want to sign on at the library. We certainly covered that enough. Um, but the point is, they, they you know what happens if your IP changes? What happens if you're at a neighbor's who you trust, who you want? I mean, or you you're you know you use a laptop and well, your that's IP what happens because I sign on, a, on on a, on three or four different IP addresses, or I'm in a hotel and I'm signing on to my bank. Okay, we do. You don't, don't want to admit that here on Security Now. <laughs> well, we've no, wait, about, no, wait, no, wait a minute. Hotels. It's an SSL con- a connection, so I'm I'm okay even doing it at the hotel, right? Well, yes. Although unless it's, a, it's my laptop, I'm not using their computer. It, it's your laptop, the, and we know that you would be careful. But the way phishing sites still crack this. Well, okay. Well, first, there is a non-phishing approach, or, or or that is a a simple way of breaking this. MIT did a study where they deliberately presented people you who are used to using the site key system with a page that did not challenge them with the picture. Oh, I'd be happy. <laughs> I don't want to yes. see a stupid people picture. Com- people complain about it all the time. <laughs> I don't want the picture. I just want to sign in. <laughs> get this. 97% sure. of people didn't notice right. that they weren't being given a picture of their teddy bear or their dog spot. It or was their, a relief. Their, or their, exactly. And the other problem is, and I'm sure you've had this happen, is... Um, there are instances where you will be asked for some additional information. When I use a new computer and I'm at a different exactly. IP address, then it wants a bunch of – it's a real pain because it asks all yeah. these silly questions. Well, and that's – it turns out is the weakness because if a, if a phishing site creates a pseudo site for B of A right. and gets you to click on a link, and, and we've all seen and we've talked about how it's possible to obscure the URL right. so it looks like you're still I on think B, I'm of at B of A. A. Let's say I'm not paying attention. I think I'm still at B of A. Exactly. So what, what B of A will do is they will see you don't have a cookie. Oh, and by the way, they use Flash cookies, which we'll, we will be talking about here in the, uh, oh, really? before long. They're not yes. using standard uh, browser cookies. They're using Flash cookies. They also, but I do know that they, that they are a user of Flash cookies. Huh. And so, and it, and it says so in their uh, privacy statement um, about the whole site key system. So if they see that you're at a different computer that doesn't have a cookie, that's when they ask you some additional information. Right. Well, it turns out that if you were a, 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 a and they, if you were a victim of phishing, which is what this whole thing is designed to prevent, you're you you're you log in to what looks like B of A and it's not. They ask you your username and your state, so you fill that in. The phishing site turns around and submits that to the real B of <laughs> A site. Site key. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Give me your site key. Now, actually, you won't get the site key, will it, though? Because No. Diff- what happens is the B of A site asks the question, which right. the phishing site turns around and asks you. you. So you fill in the answers. So you fill in the answer. And it fills in the answers. It fill, It sends it back to B of A. Uh, B of A then finally says, oh, this must really be Leo here's the in a hotel. Key. 
sends the site key, which the phishing site bounces through, providing you with the picture you're expecting, and you give it your login. So it's completely stupid. It's completely stupid. <laughs> which I always knew. Yes. Not so not so clearly proved, but it, it seemed to struck me as a, a really silly. And the yes. real problem is people get who get fooled by phishing scams are not savvy enough to be figuring out how the site key works, what to watch out for and all that. That's the whole point. They're trying to protect people who are not savvy. Exactly. And we've just seen that a non-savvy person can still get fooled Easily. even with the picture of their kitty cat. On the screen, it's like, oh, I know I'm using B of A. I'm going to transfer all my money. Uh, well, so there's no reason for me to go through this stupid. You know, uh, the the passphrase I use with it is very insulting to site keys. <laughs> it annoys me so much. Uh, even though I know nobody at B of A is reading it, I just it just makes me happy. Well, Every time the, I see so, the site key and the and the word stupid effing site key go come up along with it, it just makes me feel better. I recommend yep. this to everyone. Well, so so essentially the 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 takeaway from this is that multi-factor authentication is generally a a good thing. And that's what they're trying a, to do here. This is multi-factor. Yes, well that's what it is. I mean, well, technically, you're right. It it's more than just you using a a, a password. They actually what they're trying to do there is they're trying to provide the authentication which already really exists in the SSL secure connection. Ah, uh, yeah, that's true. And in fact, that's where it's really good. because. But, but again, that's what people aren't checking. That is, if you verify that you have a secure connection and you take the trouble to check the, the, the certificate and you see that it's issued from Bank of America from, you know, directly from Equifax or VeriSign or somebody trusted, you know, that's the way to know you've got a, a, a right. really good non-spoof connection. But exactly following your point, Leo, typical users don't do that. No. And the problem is this thing is trying to say, we're really B of A. Look, here's a picture of your kitty cat. And so it's actually providing a false sense of verification because there are all it has been cracked. It has been hacked. There are phishing sites that are using man in the middle attacks on the site key technology. Mm. And unfortunately, I guess Yahoo has adopted it and a bunch of other companies have adopted it after B of A made such a big splash about it. And it's like, well, okay, I you know, this is better than nothing, you could argue. But once again, the, the fundamental technology of verifying the validity of your, of your SSL secure sockets connection is a, is a much better approach right. because, I mean, it's real. And, and that cannot be, as we've seen, man-in-the-middle attacks are thwarted by SSL as long as you verify the authenticity of the, of the certificate that you've got. Yeah. Well, and I think in this, this is a good example of uh, a company um, go going for the appearance of security and not really the fact of security. This, this is such an obvious, intrusive technique that it, that it gives you the feeling of, oh, oh I must, they must be taking care of me, when in fact yeah. it has absolutely none of that. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I like the idea of simple biometrics, for example, using a little fingerprint scanner on a laptop, I think makes a lot of sense. As long as the underlying, as long as what's done with the fingerprint, that is the underlying technology to deal with the fingerprint, makes everything else secure. Right. For example, you, you really need this stuff stored in the BIOS and, and for that to unlock your hard drive, for example, rather than, you know, waiting for Windows to boot and then using that to log on, because by the time that's happened, you know, all bets are off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, um, all of this, this whole issue of multi-factor authentication, this actually came out of the research I've been doing into something we'll be talking about soon, which is the trusted platform module, TPM, because, because that ends up being an interestingly robust, or at least robustable, there's a new word for us. <laughs> Robustable. <laughs> an, an, another way of providing a very secure authentication factor, 
which is, of course, has a mixed blessing. Right. Because again, you know, and, and, and you could argue that even these approaches are mixed blessing because to the degree that they limit user freedom, there are people who are saying, well, you know, I'd rather just use my password, my username and password, because I want the flexibility of sharing it with some other people. So, so you know, you know, again, all of these things are um, involved trade-offs. And if you know someone's going to have their retina scanned, they might object to a laser being beamed into their eyeball. <laughs> you know, that's how they. Uh, that's actually the uh, uh, what the uh, customs in the U.S. is using now is a retinal scan and, fi- and, and fingerprinting. And uh, I and have been fingerprinted. I have been yes, exactly. I have been fingerprinted as I've been going between here and Toronto. Uh, have have you? you had a retinal scan? Um, yeah, actually, uh, last year sometime they, really? they said, you know, stick your stick your thumb here, and I was like, oh, okay, oh wait a minute, no, I'm thinking of the DMV. It was the last time yeah. I renewed my driver's license. They do if you're coming from the U.S. generally into Canada, they don't, or vice versa, I should say. But if you're coming into the U.S. from many other nations, they absolutely do. And now they're using there's a uh, a kind of a fast pass. Uh, thing they've got for they call it can pass in Canada Nexus I think is another word uh, that they use in the states that allows you to kind of breeze through with your passport and a retinal scan and again it's dual dual factor authentication uh, being the idea behind it and, that, and of course uh, the reason they let you do this is they've pre-interviewed you and they've done a background check and so forth that sounds like a cool thing Leo I'll, I'll definitely sign up for yeah, that yeah I'm gonna sign I up I, I don't mind if some laser scans my retina right and well I've seen I've watched people do it. Uh, you know, in, the, in Vancouver, there sometimes is a very long line to get into Canada, and I've watched these guys just whip through the Nexus line, and they bend over, they they get they get their eyeball scanned, and they just, and they and they <laughs> they wait, wait, they bend over to get their eyeball they, scanned. Well, they're bending forward. Let's put it that way. Uh, oh, I see, bend down. <laughs> very important. Right. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, the machine is a little lower than uh, than the eye height, uh, and uh, it looks like then you do talk to a person, but very briefly, and you whisk right through while the rest of us are standing in line. So. It's a it's kind of a neat thing, and the, the sad thing is that a lot of people coming to the states now from other countries are really put through the third degree, including fingerprints and uh, pictures and passports. So. Well, and you know the the nice thing about that is um, it appears that retinas are very hard to spoof. I'm not sure how you would spoof someone's retina. I mean, I, I especially if you are under supervision by a guard, yeah, you, 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 you could imagine yeah. you could make a fake eyeball, and and right. then, then you wouldn't have to bend over. <laughs> right here, just like um, this. <laughs> and, but but at the same time, I like the idea of, for example, being known as somebody who's a member of Nexus, and if you could like check off, require me to have my retina scanned, then that would provide. Because I'm I'm wanting stronger authentication, right. it would it would prevent somebody from spoofing me and coming into the country pretending to be me. Right, right. So no, it's a it's a good it makes perfect sense. You know, it's a good way to do it. Uh, and in this day and age of heightened security, it's you know, whatever it takes, I guess. Well, and here we are talking about security now and the issue of authentication, which is certainly going to be an ongoing concern in the future because. You know, with everything moving electronic, with more and more services going online, the idea of establishing your identity to whoever it is you're having a transaction with is increasingly important. And unfortunately, the bad guys are seeing more and more gain from coming up with ways to to um, circumvent whatever authentication schemes people come up with. That's true. This podcast brought to you by the good folks at Nerds On Site. Are you a nerd? Yeah, well, you might want to visit IWantToBeANerd.com. Nerds On Site is growing. They need more nerds to service their customers. They're looking for nerds with all competencies and skills from PC and Mac experts to specialties like Cisco and Oracle. You name it, they need it. Fix-it technicians, website designers, programmers, project managers, sales trainers, security experts, antivirus gurus, and more, especially those nerds who uh, troubleshoot, tear apart, and rebuild their own systems in their spare time. Nerds are independent contractors, so you'll be in business for yourself, but not by yourself. And I like that. Focus on your passion, not the burdens of running a business. They're all over the world. If you can hear the sound of my voice, there's a nerds in si- on site in your country, in most likelihood. And no eyeball scan necessary. Nerds on site has 250 competencies in their university of nerdology, ranging from systems, architecture, design, software development, Full on-source IT departments to uh, desktop support and uh, Soho residential IT services. If you're a nerd, you love working with people, 
Go to www.iwanttobeanerd.com and register for a nerds-only meeting in your area today. We thank Nerds on Site for their support. If you want to know more about uh, authentication, I bet you Steve's got lots of information on his website. GRC.com. Am I right, sir? Yes, sir. Uh, That's where the show notes live. The 16 kilobit version of the show for the bandwidth impaired, the transcriptions, the fine handmade transcriptions by uh, Elaine. And of course, Steve's uh, fine array of uh, free security programs like Shields Up, Securable, Decombobulator, Unplug and Pray, and on and on and on. And of course, who could forget Spinrite, everybody's favorite disk recovery and maintenance utility. So that's a f- I think that that's just a fascinating subject, this multi-factor uh, uh, authentication. And it makes me want to do more to, f- to authenticate myself. Well, well, Leo, you are authentic for all of us. <laughs> PGP doesn't seem enough. We absolutely <laughs> know you are you. There, there are various interesting offshoots of this that we will be discussing oh, in the coming weeks. Oh, because authentication is a big issue, or should I say a big factor <laughs> in, uh, yeah. Uh, in, in, you know, all things happening on the internet now and only more so in the future. I think, I think then ultimately the notion of username and password over time will end up being considered no longer sufficient for many applications and people will, you know, maybe we'll all just have something like, you know, a, an RSA secure ID dongle or, you know, various schemes will, will become popular and people will get used to them and appreciate the additional security that they do provide, even though you could argue nothing is perfect. Yep. Then again, you know, people aren't. So, yeah, that's it's, the it's actually amazing that we're able to do as good a job as we can, as we yeah. do. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much, Steve. Talk to you next week. We will talk next week, and I thank you all for joining us. See you next time on Security Now. Security Now.